Well, good morning. It's my privilege to be able to kind of close out the series on Welcome Home by talking about how each one of us are sent. You look at that particular video, and it looks like that had very little impact on him, but it really did, didn't it? Sometimes I think we underestimate what our testimony can really do in somebody else's life. There was a recent survey by George Barna, And what he discovered was that 100% of evangelical Christians know that sharing their faith is essential to their beliefs, 100%. So I don't have to sit up here this morning and tell you that you need to be sharing your faith, right? Every one of you that are sitting here that know Jesus know that you have been called by God to go and make disciples. I don't don't need to sit here and create an apologetic for that. You know that. According to the survey, 100% of you know. 50% of the people that know that have shared with just one person in a year's time. So half of you that are sitting here apparently are taking that commission, that call to be sent, seriously. I've heard statistics like this, that it takes 100 believers, $100,000 to lead one person to Christ annually. Does it seem like we're winning? 82% of people polled would likely go to church if someone they knew would accompany them. Is that unbelievable? That's another recent survey. Four out of 10 people are receptive to going to church if they're asked. How many of you have asked somebody to go to church with you in the last year? 57% wonder why their Christian friends don't talk about their faith. That's fascinating. So the big idea this morning is this. We want to be a people who embrace God's heart for those who don't know Jesus. We want to be a people who embrace God's heart for those who don't know Jesus. This morning we're going to look at a guy who just couldn't hardly embrace God's heart for a people that he absolutely hated. Some of you know the story of Jonah, right? Everybody here, in fact, you kids who are here with us this morning have been studying a little bit about Jonah. And we know that Jonah was a prophet, and Jonah was sent by God to a people called the Ninevites. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God commissions Jonah to do this. It said, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This was an enormous task for Jonah to do. You want to know why? Nineveh was one of the largest cities in the world at that time. There were over 120,000 people in Nineveh. In fact, Nineveh today is centered right where Mosul is in Iraq. It's fascinating here as we look at the city of Nineveh. It was the center of the Assyrian Empire. And the problem was the Assyrians would come down to Israel and attack the men, women, and children and plunder them, rape their women, and steal from them. And the Jews absolutely hated the Assyrians. They hated them. They were a wicked, evil people, and they were hated by the Jews. And now, for some strange reason, God is saying, hey, Jonah, I want you to go, and I want you to preach Christ. I want you to preach repentance to this evil city. Now, I don't know about you, but I would go go back to God, and I would say, them? Are you serious? We hate those guys. They've done nothing but evil to us. Why would I go there? It would be like sending a a Messianic Jew today to modern-day Iran 
and to have them walk into Iran somewhere in the middle of, of Iran and saying, hey, you all need to repent. This is a really odd request by God. But it says something about God's heart. So God's heart has a people, he has a heart for people who are lost. And the first point I want to make to you this morning is is that God doesn't show any partiality toward one people group. He shows no partiality. All lives matter to Jesus. These murdering pagan Gentiles, God wanted to see them know his love and mercy. God's chosen people were not the only people that God was interested in coming to love him. Here's the second thought. God wants all people to have a chance to repent. God's heart is that every person should have a chance to repent or or reject Christ. You know, there's a lot of people out there say, why would a loving God send anybody to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. God's desire is that everybody have an opportunity to respond to him so that they make that choice whether they're going to go to heaven or hell. God wants all people. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God wants to have compassion on everyone if they would only surrender their lives and come to know and repent. But thirdly, I see here that God's heart is to use us as his messengers. God wanted to get the job done in Nineveh, but he wanted to use Jonah as his messenger to do it. And he hasn't changed at all in his mode of operation when it comes to reaching people for Jesus. He can use you, if you're a five-year-old sitting here this morning, to bring your friends to Jesus. I'll never forget the day my granddaughter, my daughter, led her cousin to the Lord when she was five years old, and she looked at Troy and said, Troy, you got a dirty little heart, you need to clean it up. (laughs) Troy went home to his mom and said, Mom, Jody says I got a dirty little heart. And mom said, well, and Troy accepted Jesus. I think about my eight-year-old son when we moved to Phoenix. And he's only eight years old, and we were there to plant a church. And you know, the first person that came to Christ was our neighbor boy that my eight-year-old son led to Jesus. You kids that are sitting here, you're just as much of a messenger as your mom and your dad. If you know Jesus this morning, you have been called and you've been sent just like Jonah was sent. Now, how did Jonah handle this? Not very well. In verse 3 of that same chapter... But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. You see, Jonah went the opposite direction. He didn't want to go to those people. God, why why do you want me to go to them? Have me go somewhere else, but not to the dumb Assyrians. They're they're a bunch of evil people, and it's not going to work, God. And so he gets on a boat, right? You remember the story, kids? He gets on a boat, and what happens? He goes the opposite direction, and he ends up in a huge storm, and he ends up in the belly of a whale, right? Well, why do you think Jonah was not willing to go? Well, number one, I think it was because he was, it would be unpatriotic. You know, when he thought about it, he said, my nation, the people that I represent, all of Israel will be totally upset with me that I'm having some sort of compassion on my enemies. He said, everybody's going to think I'm a traitor, Lord. I can't go to Nineveh. So he runs away. 
He runs from his responsibility. He was worried about what people would think. You ever worried about what people will think if you start sharing Christ with folks? He was also, I think, pretty myopic. And what I mean by that is he had been blessed as a Jew. He is part of the chosen ones. And so he was really comfortable in his network of relationships. And because he was comfortable, I think he became complacent. And I think sometimes as believers, we get so comfortable in our own little networks, our own little spiritual bubbles, our own little Christian groups, and our own Christian cliques, that we become complacent and myopic, and we forget about people that we're rubbing shoulders with every day who need Jesus. Thirdly, I think he was prejudiced. I hate these people. Why would I want something good to happen to them? Why would I want something good to happen to ISIS or to some radical Muslim? Why, why would I want something good to happen to that gay person? Why, why, do we, why do we, these people that sometimes some of us have prejudices against, we get prejudiced and biased and we don't want to talk or go to them? God broke me of that a number of years ago. When one of the guys in ministry and the police department was gay and, and he was, was dying of liver disease or of um, kidney disease. He had a kidney transplant. And a sergeant and myself decided that, I, I was asking Greg, I said, Greg, have you ever shared Christ with, with this guy? And he said, well, no, of course not. I said, let's go to his house. We go to his house and we shared the Lord with this gay man. And you know, that guy died listening to the song I could only imagine because he accepted Jesus. And we had a chance to have 75 gay people in a memorial service that we were able to love and reach out to. And and part of the problem with Jonah was too, is that he thought, you know what, they're never going to respond. These people have been evil for centuries. Why? They're not going to ever receive Christ. They're not going to respond to my message. They're not going to listen to some Jew. Are you serious, God? I've discovered in my own life some of the most unlikely people are the ones that often respond to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? But fourth, I think that Jonah had an insensitive heart because he couldn't embrace the heart that God had for these people. And we talked about, again, already the big idea that we want our people here at Cornerstone to embrace the same heart that God has for people. But Jonah couldn't grab that. He couldn't, he couldn't see how much God really had compassion. And he couldn't get on board with what God was feeling for these people. So he finds himself in the belly of a whale. And of course, Jonah found that hard to swallow. <clears throat> okay. Uh, but, the, <laughs> but the beauty of it is, is that God gave Jonah a second chance. God gave Jonah a second chance. He finds himself in the belly of a whale and he's very repentant and he begins to say, okay, God, okay, I'll go, I'll go. I'll I'll, I'll go do this. I I apologize. I'm going to go. And so in verses one and two in chapter three, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah finally gets it. And sometimes... 
God puts us in a position where we finally repent and are broken, and that's when he can use us the most, right? And so Jonah decides, okay, I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to do what you tell me to do, God. I'm going to tell these people to repent or the the place is going to get totally destroyed. And what happens? Well, if you remember the story, 120,000 people went to sackcloth and ashes and repented that day. Unbelievable result. Unbelievable. Verse 10 of that chapter says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Now, it's a story for another day, but Jonah wasn't very excited about that. He had a little pity party. Now, I don't know how many of us have had the opportunity in one day to see 120,000 people be broken. Not even Billy Graham has experienced that in one day. A powerful, powerful story of God's compassion for a people who really needed Jesus. So what can we learn from all of this? The first thing I believe is this, that God has a bigger heart than we do. God has a bigger heart than you or I do. I was going to share this later, but for some reason I need to bring this in now, is that I I remember that day, you remember that day Jesus rode into Jerusalem? What did he do? He wept. He wept over Jerusalem. Remember, he said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. You haven't got a clue. When's the last time we've embraced the heart of God? And seeing people like Jesus would see them. God has a bigger heart than we do. Here's the second lesson we can learn. God's going to get the job done of evangelizing the world with or without us. Jesus said, I will build my church and even the gates of hell won't prevail against it. God's going to get it done. But you know what's really cool? He's called all of us to be his ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through who? Through us. Do we understand the enormous privilege it is for us to be his ambassadors? What do ambassadors do? Ambassadors represent a certain country, right? And they go to other countries and represent the interests of that country. And they do all they can to create diplomatic connections so that they build relational equity so that their country is very well represented so that people will hopefully someday maybe adopt, at least understand their values, right? And so every one of us, and kids, if you're here this morning, you're an ambassador, And do we understand what a privilege an ambassador is? We've all been called to be ambassadors. And we get to bear the message. And God, sure, he can get it done with or without us, but he chose us to use us to do that. I think about Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, you shall receive the Holy Spirit and you shall be what? Witnesses. One of the very reasons why you possess the Holy Spirit in your life today is so that you will be a witness or an ambassador to people who don't know Jesus. And friends, I don't think we get it how what a wonderful privilege we have to be the bearers of good news to a culture that's going to hell in a handbasket. Do you believe that this morning? I'm not convinced we think we have the good news. 
Here's the third lesson that we learn from this story. The most unlikely people could be the most apt to repent. I mean, Jonah wouldn't have dreamed that these pagan Ninevites would have ever been broken. And I can go back in my own life. I I remember back in the days when I was with the Phoenix Police Department. And there were several guys that I sort of targeted when I went into the Phoenix Police Department. I I thought there was a a warmth and and a receptivity. And so I began to intentionally pray for those guys. And then there were these hardcore guys, you know. Every other word was an F-bomb, and they were, they were just, you know, very, very pagan. And, and so I started praying for these, other, these guys that I thought might be receptive, and so I started targeting them, and I found out that there was some resistance there. And then lo and behold, some of the hardcore guys, I began to see something take place in their lives. And I I remember, some of you even remember if you were here a long time ago at Cornerstone, there was a guy named Pete. And he had suffered a stroke after he had retired from the police department. Pete was the most hardcore, negative guy you ever want to meet. Rednecked. I think of my friend Chuck, who was on the bomb squad. And I get Facebook stuff from him all the time now. It's all about Jesus. And he was an atheist for a while. I mean, he just hated God because God took his dad away when he was a child. Don't ever underestimate what God might want to do in the life of somebody you think is so hardcore, so negative, so atheistic, just like the guy we saw on the screen. I believe that guy was really touched, frankly. And I think if he was really honest, he was more touched than he wants to admit. Here's the fourth thing that I get from this story. Our job is to do what he's called us to do and leave the results to him. So many times I've walked away from sharing my faith with somebody and I get really frustrated because I don't see a change or a transformation or a receptivity. Have you ever been there? And I used to feel really bad about that. It's like, what's wrong with me? Am I not just sharing the right things? Am I I not really being used by the Holy Spirit? What's going on? And then I heard a message by Chuck Swindoll here a few weeks ago. And Chuck said the same thing. He said, you know, over the years, he said, I'd shared my faith so many times with so many people. And they weren't responding. And he said, I finally got it one day that it's not about me. And that's what God was trying to teach Jonah, by the way. And what he said was, he said, from that point on, when I realized that, I said, the one thing that I can be responsible for is to make sure that when I do present the gospel, it's done in clarity and with integrity. That's all I need to do. God's the one that's going to change people's lives. So our job is to do what we're called to do and leave the results to him. I shared with a a deputy here a few weeks ago, and he introduced me to a a sergeant that I hadn't met. He said, yeah, this is Tom. He's the new chaplain here. And he said, he's been dumping Jesus on me all night. (laughs) And I was frustrated because I didn't feel like he was all that receptive. But I think that was a compliment. The fifth thing that I think we can learn here 
chances are when he calls us and we listen and obey, the fruit could be ultimately enormous. Here was a reluctant prophet that goes into an evil pagan city who hated Jews and 120,000 people repent. Are you serious? We don't have any idea of what one life can do in the lives of many. And I just think it's an important lesson for us to realize that we have no idea how far an impact can make with one life and how it can expand and broaden and multiply to many lives all over the world. So as I think about this message this morning, I thought, so what do we need to do? What do we need to do with this? Because it's not a problem of us not knowing that we're supposed to do it, right? We, all, we started the message like that, right? It's not a matter of you sitting here saying, you know, oh, yeah, I know, I need to share my faith. I need to do a better job of that. So let me give you some ideas of how you can take what I'm trying to share with you this morning and really do something practical with it. Here's the first, th- first thing. The first thing is important. Ask God for his heart towards those who don't know Jesus. Ask God for his heart. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed this prayer, and I would encourage you to pray this prayer. God, help me to see people like Jesus sees people. And if you pray that honestly, your eyes begin to open, the the blinders begin to come off, and we begin to see people like Jesus sees them. We need to be people, like we said, the big idea here is to embrace the heart of God in people's lives. And so it's got to start somewhere, and I believe the way it can start is every one of you, whether you're five years old or 75 years old, is to every so often just say, Lord, I want to see people like you see them. That's the first thing you can do. Here's the second. Be alert to the felt needs of those who you touch every day. Kids, when you're at school and you see a friend being bullied... Or you see a friend who is really down and depressed because mom and dad are getting a divorce. Have you ever thought about coming alongside that kid and saying, can I pray for you? There are opportunities every day that we're missing of people that we're rubbing shoulders with day in and day out. That's one of the reasons why I preached the message a long time ago about how workplace evangelism, I think, is where it's at. You are working every day. You are rubbing shoulders with people every day. And it's so critical as we're rubbing shoulders with them to be alert to those needs. Just in the last couple of weeks in in my new ministry as a chaplain, I was uh, down at the jail the other day and I met a guy who just came, uh, was been diagnosed with MS. Well, there's a felt need there. And so I said, you know, I'm going to pray for you. I I met another guy the other day who just lost all of his hearing in his ear because he had a virus attack his ear. And he's lost his hearing, and he's got a 30% chance of getting his hearing back. And I came alongside him, and I said, you know, I'm going to pray for you. And he really appreciated that. It's, it's being alert to the needs. And sometimes we get so narcissistic, we get so involved in our own lives, that we forget about there are people out there who've got needs. So be alert to the felt needs of people that are around you. And when you see that, there's an opportunity for you to come in with a lot of love and compassion. Here's the third thought. Commit to a prayer strategy. I've already alluded to this. We, we had a, a gal in our church who, and her and her husband started this ministry called Stop and Pray. And they made these little stop signs and they hung them on your mirror. 
And she has been amazing. She'll get in a line with people at a grocery store or at MVD or whatever it might be. And she'll start talking to a person in the line. And for some reason, she gets this sense in her, in her spirit. And she said, can I pray for you? And you know what? I've started to use that strategy a lot in my own life. And what I've discovered, I have never had a person turn down prayer. Have you ever noticed that? No matter who it is, even if they're an atheist, if you are willing to pray for them, it makes a statement that you care enough about them. And it's really important if you get the opportunity to pray right then and there out loud with them. There was a, a friend of mine also who was who started a ministry called Pray For You. And he, he said it's been used a lot in a lot of people's neighborhoods where you can just go knock on your neighbor's door someday and say, hey, you know what? I'm just feeling, uh, you know, just coming around the neighborhood and I just thought I would be really good. Is there anything I can pray about for you? And we'll say, well, yeah, that's actually you could. And so you start praying for them. And then you go back maybe two or three days later and you say, hey, how's it going? I've been praying for you. That's what I'm going to do with this guy with his ear. I went back and saw him the other day, and I just said, hey, I've been praying for you. How's it going? And as you do that, you're building relational credibility, and you're, you're praying for them so they know that you're a spiritual person, and they begin to be receptive to that. And I've never, ever had anybody turn down prayer in all the years that I've done ministry. So praying is a great avenue. It's a simple way that you can begin to build a spiritual connection with somebody. Here's the fourth thing that you could do. Learn to develop relational equity with those who don't believe. Now, the problem is this takes time. But see, if you're rubbing shoulders with people every day, those are the people that you can kind of be efficient with your time so that you're building relational equity. I have to do that. I, I sat in front of 35 deputies this last week. And I said, guys, I'm here for you because I love guys who are in law enforcement. And you guys put your life on the line every day. And I know that it's going to take time for me to build trust and credibility with you guys, but I want that opportunity. Building equity, relational equity, gives us those opportunities to invest in somebody and take risks, right? And for those of us even who are shy and bashful, who whatever, if you can just be enough of a person, a relational person, to just start caring enough to build relational equity, and that can take time. That's been a methodology for me for many years. I'm not the kind of guy that likes to go door to door, and, 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 and you know, I call it sometimes ambush evangelism, and, uh, and, and you know, or on the street. That's not my style. That's not how I've adopted. Other people do that and do it really, really well. But for me, it's been a, a, a way that I've invested in people a long term to where when the opportunity comes, I've had enough emotional and, 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 uh, and relational credibility that I can be honest and forthright and really talk to them about the Lord. And that takes time. And see, the problem with us in our culture today, we're so distracted by all of our busyness. We don't see people like Jesus sees people. I think that's Satan's greatest strategy to keep us from sharing our faith is to keep us so busy involved in our own lives that we forget about people out there. Here's the fifth thing. Develop your own method of sharing the gospel. Pastor Dan has done a thing called Red Zone. You know, Pastor Dan, he talks a lot about the bridge. Remember, he's shared with you the bridge. Some of you know what, that, what I'm talking about. Back in the day, there was the four spiritual laws. But you know what I found the most effective way to share the gospel with people? Is your testimony. 
I remember having a discussion with a deputy one night, and I was trying to pull out all the apologetic stops, you know? I was trying to come up with all the answers that he had questions for. And finally, I realized I was getting nowhere. He had read all the books on apologetics. And, and I said, you know, Doug, I said, can I tell you about what happened to me? And I began to share how God had revealed himself in my own life. And you know what? He couldn't argue with that. Because that was my reality. So I think it's really important that we find some methodology, some strategy, some way that when the opportunity arises, we have enough confidence to be able to share so that we can, if I can use this terminology, close the deal. Because a lot of times we're, we're planting seeds all the time with people, but when it comes to really sitting down and leading somebody to Jesus, it's really important to have a strategy or have a mechanism that you can do that. And so it's, it's finding that way, whether, like I say, it's the Romans road or it, it, it's the, the bridge. There's, there's various mechanisms that you can do that, and there's all kinds of helps out there. So if you really need them, I know that the church can give you some of those resources to really help you out. And here's the last thing that we can do, and this is so, so important. It's called be intentional. Be intentional. Sharing our faith, as we know, for most of us, is not something that comes very natural. There are probably 10% of people who have what I would call the gift of evangelism. So 90% of us out there do not have a real easy flow, if you will, somebody like our Pastor Dan that's been around here for years that just seems to be able to share his faith no matter where, no matter how, no matter what. But for some of us, that makes it hard. So we got to be intentional. And what I mean by that is this. It's real critical. I know for one thing that I've tried to do in my own life is that when I go out on a mo- in a morning, I pray for divine appointments. I, I just say, because when I start praying for divine appointments, it helps me be a lot more alert and a lot more intentional when something comes up that I see, uh-oh, this is something, it could be a God moment. This could be the, the Holy Spirit prompting me. This, this could really be something. So it gives me a greater sense of alertness as to opportunities. And so without intentionality, it just doesn't seem to get done by most of us. I preached hard and long for nine years when I was consulting with pastors and elite pastors and I was just telling the guys, I said, guys, are you intentional about sharing your faith? How can you stand in front of the church and tell people that you need to be out there sharing your faith when you're safe in the ivory tower doing your thing? And so I'd, get, I'd try to encourage guys, find a, an avenue of intentionality where you are out there rubbing shoulders with, consistently with people who are non-believers, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's the soccer team, whatever it is, figure out a place and get her done. But it takes intentionality, doesn't it? So I challenge you this morning. Again, I don't need to tell you that we've been called to do this. We've all been sent, Amen. Every one of you sitting here are an ambassador. And you don't need another guilt trip. But what I think is really, really important is that we're reminded again that the big idea here this morning is embrace the heart of God. When's the last time you wept over somebody who doesn't know Jesus? When have you sat at a Starbucks and looked at people and said, God, let me see 
those people like you would see them. Those homeless people on the street, those refugees coming into the U.S. How does God see those? We were challenged by Pastor Scott just a little bit ago to think about that. I want Cornerstone to embrace the heart of Jesus. Amen? That's what we want here. And when we do that, we're going to see God do some incredible things here at Prescott and around the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this reminder of Jonah. who probably had a bazillion excuses and some of them good. But nonetheless, God, thank you that you gave him a second opportunity. And Father, I feel like there's a lot of us here that need that second opportunity. That person we've been praying for that we maybe blew or we could have shared, but we didn't. God, I pray that there would be lots of stories coming out of Cornerstone in the days that are ahead. Lots of stories of, of how, God, you've, you've been used to just share the gospel. And God, we leave those results to you. But God, I pray more than anything else that you would help me to see people like you see them. God, I pray for every one of us that we would be willing to do that. Just start there. God, help me to see people like you do, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.